I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Janet Sherland, author of Abandoned at Birth, Searching for the Arms That Once Held Me. Like many adoptees of her generation, Janet Sherland was born as the offspring of teenage parents. Her mother was forced to have her baby in secrecy. Uh, Sherlin would come to learn that her mother was unusual for her time. Not only did she not tell the father she was pregnant, she wanted nothing to do with her baby and never even looked at her newborn. All she had to go on when she began her search was a false narrative written about her biological parents by the adoption agency. In her memoir, she paints a vivid portrait of the detachment and longing of an adopted child and the lifelong quest to find her biological mother. It's an unflinching examination of the grief and trauma caused by this primal separation and the dogged determination it takes to face the forces of opposition, both internal and external, to finally achieve her answers. She has served on nonprofit boards in education, health, and the cultural arts. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Janet. Thank you, Catherine. I'm glad to be here. Okay, we're going to be talking about, well, the title, Abandoned at Birth. Okay, so this is, as you describe it, it's the most single significant life event uh, in your life, being yeah, adopted at birth. Okay. Um, you know, it's interesting that a lot of people think of adoption it's great. One should be grateful and happy that someone wanted you and loved you and all those, you know, kinds of uh, happy comments, but that's not really your experience and that's not really your truth. So let's talk about that. Yes. And I (laughs) I first want to say there are two things can be true at the same time. You as an adoptee, you can have a perfectly fine adoption experience being a, you know, a perfectly fine family, uh, know that they love you, uh, and that doesn't take away the trauma of not knowing who you are or where you came from or why you were given up. Uh, it is They can exist in the same person at the same time. So it's not an either-or situation. So at what point did you, what, when did you, uh, when were you told that you were adopted? We were always told. I'm very fortunate in that. It was never a surprise. Um, my parents adopted four children, all in all, and from the very beginning, it was part of our bedtime story, how they went to the adoption agency and picked us up out of the high bonnet top cradle and brought us home. And so I don't ever remember not knowing that I was adopted. So, so that, okay. And so I'm that was grateful but, yeah. for that. Yeah. <laughs> They weren't those kinds of secrets. I mean, many children who are adopted, that's one of, can be one of the secrets in the family, and that can be detrimental. Okay, but that's not the situation. That's not your situation. So Correct. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you describe, and I'm sort of reading, I think I'm reading a quote from you, that you uh, were living a borrowed life. What, what does that mean in the context of your adoption? Yeah, it's it's the way you feel, the knowledge that you have. I mean, I always knew I was adopted. I always knew I was not my parents' child and their offspring. Um, I didn't share their genes. I wasn't Swedish like my father or French-German like my mother. I didn't know what I was, though. I had no information about myself. And so I was, but I was, I knew the process of adoption. It's been, you know, there were four of us adopted and I had actually was old enough to participate in going to get my little sister. I was in second grade when we got her. 
et cetera. So I, I really viewed it as a child that's very capricious. You know, okay, I'm in this family because my name was on the list then, you know, but, but I might have gone to the family before them on the list or after them on the list. And I would have been, you know, my identity is completely capricious. Uh, someone at an agency assigned me to this family, but I could have gone to any number of other families. And so growing up, I, I just had that sense that I, I'm not really a part of this family and my name is capricious and my, my identity, you know, the, the fact that we celebrated some Swedish traditions at Christmas was fine. You know, that's nice. I love dad and, you know, they're kind of cool, but I said, I, I wonder what I really am. So even as a child, I, as an adoptee, you feel it. There are so many things that are just feelings that are unknown and unspoken they're hard to explain, um, and and I all I can say is that I think there are things, I think there are things in the blood or in the cells that biological clans and families can recognize each other. Um, and and sometimes I use the example of, uh, you know, we are animals, and um, they give examples of penguin mothers who can, you know, penguin mothers can stand in front of two thousand penguin babies and pick out theirs. How? I don't know. You know, there there are things that happen that we can't explain yet. And so I think um, when you're not with your clan, when you're not with the people that your blood and cells evolved from, you feel the disconnect, you feel the dissonance. And even if you're not being mistreated, you feel like you don't belong. And there's a, a hollowness and an emptiness that results. Well, were you aware enough or had the ability, I guess, <clears throat> as a, a child to talk amongst your siblings or to your parents about those feelings? I mean, did you ever, did you ever approach them? No, yeah. no, no, no. Back, you know, I, I was born in the fifties and raised and adoption was um, the only narrative about adoption was that you were very lucky. You were very fortunate. Love conquered all nurture trumped nature um, so it, it would have, and, and as adoptees, usually we feel very insecure. Um, we were given up by one parent, the parent who we really belong to. So gosh, you don't want to, you know, rock the boat and your adoptive family. I never wanted to do anything that I thought would question or cast doubt to my adoptive parents. It, it was just something, you know, I wouldn't even consider doing that. And in fact, even though I hate to admit this as an adult, part of the reason I didn't write this book for so long, and it certainly hasn't, you know, wasn't published until after both of my adopted parents laid into my life. And that, you know, it, as, a, as a middle-aged adult woman, I was afraid of writing the truth and writing a book that would, would hurt them. So there's an incredibly strong allegiance to your adoptive parents when you've been rejected and abandoned by your first parent. So there is those feelings of, of gratitude and, and, and fear that, I guess, maybe fear of abandonment again, as you're saying, if you say something that yeah. perhaps they were, didn't approve of. How about your siblings? I'm curious. What were, do they have similar feelings as you do? I mean, obviously, you're different people. Like, where are they coming yeah. from? Well, um, my oldest brother sadly passed away, um, um, very young, but we, he did, um, he did live long enough to, to know the, this part of my story, my search. And he just sadly had, 
um, had a massive stroke and was very incapacitated at that point and didn't have it in him to search. Um, my younger sister, uh, within a year of my searching, wanted to do the same, and, and we did search, and we did find her mother. Um, and uh, that was fun for me to watch because they are so much alike. Even though I've you know lived that story, too, it's, it's easier to see it in someone else sometimes. Um, my younger brother has no interest in uh, searching. So uh, of the four of us, I think three of us, either did it or were interested in doing it. And just one of that, one of us is just doesn't want to go there. It, well, I, I don't know if I, in the beginning, I guess, well, you said you're raised in the fifties and of course in the fifties, these most, I guess it was mostly all closed adoptions, right? It was, uh, yeah. and, and you couldn't get any information from the adoption agencies. So, no. yeah, but you find, yeah. So let's that, you know, that's the logistics of the whole thing. What happened? How yeah, were you the fifties, the fifties and sixties and seventies was, you know, the era of closed adoptions and sealed records and the, you know, the damage that is done to generations of us, um, and, and remain, uh, in 40 out of 50 states records are still sealed. I was adopted in the state of New Jersey and, I'm now in my 60s. My birth parents and adoptive parents are all dead, and my records are still sealed. And it's really hard um, as a grown woman to imagine that the shame that my biological mother felt for something that we now look at as insignificant as having had premarital sex um, trumps my right to my heritage, my genealogy, to ever know who I am. And, and where I came from. Um, it's, it's really extraordinary when you think about it. And, and one of the reasons I wrote the book was to try and, and illustrate to people, to allow people to feel what adoptees feel so that they can more inform the decisions they make on when they vote or when they're talking to, to friends about many different issues, adoptee rights, but including closed records. And uh, it, it seems incredulous to me that people who probably aren't adopted themselves are making these decisions and really robbing a generation of us of our true identity, our authentic identity. And when we had no defenses against that, we were babies. We had, we had no way to, to fight what was being stolen from us. And to keep it stolen for all these years, to, to never free up that information is just incredulous to me. So, well, you're saying, what you're saying is all your decisions are, are, are predicated on your life circumstances and being denied, I guess is the word, right? You just denied your whole heritage. Where did you come from and who did you come from? And yeah, and I, and, and I think people who, who know where they came from, you know, I, I grew up with people saying, oh, it's not important to know where you came from. And I, I don't look like my parents or I don't have the same interests as my parents. And they really dismissed my desire to know who I looked like and, and anything else about myself. And um, that's because they had it. They don't know what it's like to not have it. And it is really essential to forming a sense of self and forming a healthy person to see yourself mirrored in your relatives and your family around you, to have a sense of connection going back through time by hearing the stories of, you know, that people that came before you and your family and, and, and helping form your sense of yourself 
And when you don't have that, when you have nothing to, to take and go on, you just feel like you're, you have a black hole in you. You're like floating out there. It's like, it's the most disconnected, untethered, really terrifying feeling. And, you know, we've, we've seen that there's a high incidence of suicide, behavioral problems, um, emotional problems. Adoptees are well overrepresented in the, um, the legal system. So there are real issues, real, real health, psychological health, mental health problems that are attached to the, the closed system of adoption. But I also see these days that it is something that donor-conceived individuals are struggling with and others who are, are separated from their biology and who are living someone else's identity and choices. Um, you know, and, and back to your question about a borrowed life, I, I always felt like I was living a, a borrowed life, living, I had a, you know, a name, these random people gave me and then, you know, random ethnic identity. And, and I knew that it wasn't truly mine. And again, I think when you're uh, living that, even if it doesn't seem to the outside world that there's anything concrete that's wrong, you feel it. And I think that the trend now, um, I think it's got to be very helpful to be able to, to recognize that you were born to someone else, that you had a different heritage, that you could be very different from the adoptive family. Um, and talking about that and also recognizing the loss and the grief, which is a lifelong issue, which, which really never goes away and just has to be, you just have to live beside it. Yeah. So it, it's just part of your psyche. It's part of who you, it is who you are. I mean, that experience is you. But I was just thinking about the separation and like bio, you mentioned biological. What, what about, I mean, I, I'm thinking and you're growing up and, you know, you're not, biologically connected to your parents, you get sick, you have physical issues, those kinds of things, and they can't really <laughs> relate that to, to your family. Um, and that, right. yeah, that, that would be another issue. But what about the DNA, what, what's happening today? Is that anything that can or could be helpful? That Oh, one, I think, I think yeah. so. Yeah. I think the, um, in fact, the social worker who helped me search, uh, when I searched back in 2010, 11, with the, their help for the first time, the agency's help for the first time, um, there was that still wasn't a thing. Um, and the social worker was very busy. There was a year-long wait list to get, you know, to her the top of her her pile. And uh, as recently as a year ago, when I spoke to her, she said, "Well, there's virtually nothing for me to do anymore because everyone is just going to DNA websites to and and discovering things." One of her, her cautions, which I think is very fair, is that she said, unfortunately, they really probably haven't done the work that they need to do to be able to handle um, what they find or how to process that. And uh, it's, it's true that it takes work. I mean, it takes reading and it takes understanding and it takes talking and support. And I would, I advocate for lots of therapy because it's, um, what you find when you search isn't always positive or it can be a mixed bag. And as a, an adoptee, you've probably spent most of your life with some fantasy or some imagination about what these people would be like, what your other family would be like, how you would fit in. And the reality 
could be very different than that. And I think it really is helpful to have some support and guidance when, and it can be, you know, support groups or organizations, but um, there can be a lot of hard work that has to be done after a reunion takes place. Yeah. So it's not just the information. It's just not the biological information to who you're connected to. Uh, it, I mean, it's really important, as you say, I'm reiterating, because I think it really is important. You do have to have, uh, you have to have the, the, the emo- it has to, it's in an emotional context. <laughs> it's not just yeah. information. Um, yeah. And, and, it, and it's also yeah. the experience of it. It's, it's one thing to be told on a piece of paper, well, you're, you know, your father is Irish and he has, and it's like, okay, but to meet that person and to see yourself reflected in them and to see the way you move and the way you talk and your sense of humor and the colors you like. And, you know, it's just for someone who's never seen themselves connected to any other human being on the face of the earth, the first time that you feel biologically connected with someone, it's mind blowing. (laughs) It's really transformative. So there's stuff that we don't, you know, talk about or we don't recognize that is very much a part of identity in a healthy self. And I think we have to recognize them to be able to do a better job going forward with all the various issues that are, are coming up. Uh, first of all, you know, adoptee rights, but also the issues of donor-conceived individuals of international adoptions and even reproduction rights that um, that are results of some of those issues. So um, it's, yeah, it's more than reading about it. It's, it's, it's experiencing. It's the physical experience, a physical and emotional experience of knowing who you are. It's a complex situation, <laughs> a, a complex family mm-hmm. situation. And I'm thinking about your one's expectations because they could run the gamut too. Maybe you're ex- you have high expectations. You actually meet your adoptive, your, your biological parents and, or parent. And it's a real disappointment, mm-hmm. a huge disappointment. And then that's mm-hmm. a whole, that's yeah. one side, you know, one end of the, L-shaped curve, and then the think, other end, it could too, be joyous and enlightening, and all of you know the good stuff. Yeah. Probably most of it's somewhat in between. I'm imagining. Yeah, and and both. I, I and I think again, two things can be true. I think um, someone having a a negative reaction can still feel initially the oh my god, I'm from this person. I, I see myself in this person. This is where I come from, and then and then have an adverse relationship or reaction afterwards. Um, but, but I still think it's really important. I, I think it's very important for someone to, to make those connections, even if what they find is negative, because that's a good cautionary tale. I mean, if, if you don't know some of the, or if you don't want to recognize some of the, you know, less wonderful traits about yourself, uh, and if, if you're adopted, you can just dismiss them. Oh, that's, you know, that's just a mood of the moment or something. But, but if you meet your biological kin and you see traits or things in there that you think, oh, my God, and I, it, it's like it helps to see, to see mistakes or to see tendencies in someone else that you don't like because it helps you keep yourself in check. I think it's important for all of us to accept and, and recognize and deal with the negative things that are in us as well as the positive things. So one is really seeking the truth, whatever that truth is. And yeah. it, uh, it's it, the way you're describing it. You're seeking 
you know, the, obviously the truth of your birth. What about in families? And, and I'm assuming that you've had, that you have been involved in support groups, um, people that yourself like you know, seeking the same kinds of things that you are. What about families where you have one child who's adopted and the other one or two are not? They're biological uh, kids, yeah, children. Yeah, that's, from what I've seen, um, that's a very complicated issue. It, that's, um, you know, it, it, it's all individual. I, I didn't grow up in that experience, but it's, I think there's a tendency, there's so much insecurity in adoption. And I think many adoptees who also live with biological siblings always feel like they're the second class citizens and that the adoptive, that the biological children are the preferred and favored child. Um, it, that may not always be the case, but there's, I think there's some part of, of every adoptee that, you know, even if they're the perfect child and uh, in the family and they do all the right things and you're achieving all the things that family values, um, there's some, there's some knowledge of that. I'm not really one of them. It, it, I think it's very difficult. And I think, you know, that's also, it brings up another point that adoptees often play out in one of two ways. You're either try to be the perfect child so that you kind of assure your, your place in the family or you act out and you're the rebel all your life. Um, you just test the boundaries constantly. And um, so having, being a child, if the outside's looking in and, and if you're the child without trauma and you're the child who's doing everything right and you're in a perfectly fine family, you know, the world will look in at that and say, oh, isn't that wonderful? You know, that's just great. But you can still carry trauma and pain and grief with you. It's just not being dealt with or recognized. And, and you're not free to do that because you're so fearful. And, and so I often say that, you know, the more perfect the child's behaving, you know, there may be there may be a lot bubbling up underneath it. It's interesting you should say that. I mean, one of my... Uh not close friends, but a friend, somebody that was, you know, part of my social group, they adopt, they had a biological child and, and two girls and the one they adopted. And it turned out that their child that they adopted is like a super, is really smart, really athletic, you know, kind of a super achiever. And their Mm -hmm. biological child is way the opposite, which, um, and, and I'm kind of putting, you know, I never thought about all the things that we've been talking about on the show, but you know, that, that, that I never thought of that dynamic, but it was always, um, their adopted child who was the one who shown, um, lots of different scenarios, right? Yeah. Yeah. And but that, that one of being the perfect child is a, is a very common scenario. And it is, you know, when I, when people say to me, oh, I know someone who's adopted and they don't want to know, they're so happy with their family. And I, and I just nod and go, that's great. But to myself, I think um, they don't feel free. You know, they're, they're so busy trying to assure their place and, and feel secure and, and what they, they're, they don't feel free to do it or they're afraid to do it. Um, and and many times later in life, they'll finally find the space or or the or the desire to, and, and may not. You know, not everybody is an introspective person. I mean, even even kids living in, in their biological families. You know, there are different kinds of people, and and some um, some go there and some don't. And it's just you know, but but oftentimes 
the way adoptees live is really disguising what's really going on underneath. I don't like to, um, I hate to interrupt you. We have like uh, two minutes left. So I I could continue with the conversation, abandoned at birth, searching for the arms that once held me. Um, and, And Janet, when is the book coming out? The book is being published on May 7th. It's um, already ready for pre-order on, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, bookshop.org, and BAM. Um, and I have an Instagram account at, at Janet Sherland Official, or my website is abandonedatbirthbook.com. Great. It's really very, very interesting and provocative, I should say. Very uh, conversation today. Thank you so much, Janet Sherland. Um Thank you, Catherine. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. (laughs) 